This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 86, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today, John and I are talking rut plans and doing a little Q&A to answer a few listener questions. So stay tuned. All right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. It is here. The Super Bowl of deer hunting, the the rut is upon us. Uh, super pumped for that. Actually, just took a little break from packing for my rutcation to 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 start editing this podcast and get it out this week. Since I'm going to be doing some doing some traveling, so by the time you are listening to this, I will be in a tree stand um, in Pennsylvania. Still, at this point, uh, I'll be at my at the new property at my dad's property uh, doing my. My first rut hunt there, so I'll actually arrive there on uh, Monday night, and then we'll hunt all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, and then we'll be hunting probably the morning, the Friday morning, um, which I believe is the second, and uh, we'll be hopping in my truck at that point in in the afternoon after a morning hunt and driving to to Ohio to meet up with my buddy Chad from from Exodus Outdoor Gear, and I'll be doing, I think it's eight eight, nine days in, in Ohio. So really looking forward to that. Uh, unfortunately, I think next week, uh, while I'm at my dad's place, um, and unfortunately, well, two unfortunately, I guess, unfortunately, number one is I don't think my dad's actually going to be able to make it up to, uh, to hunt together, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but hopefully I can still put him on something, you know, maybe in, in, in late season, or he may come up and actually hunt the week that I'm a- actually in Ohio. Um, so that's bummer number one. Bummer number two is I was looking at the forecast and it looks like the weather looks like Tuesday is going to be really good. Um, probably the best day that I have while I'm there. 
and then Wednesday the temperatures are going to go up. I, look, I saw it's supposed to be like 70 on Wednesday, which is just ridiculous. And then Thursday it's supposed to get a little cooler, but you know, a little bit of rain I think. And then Friday it looks like it's going to be a pretty decent day. But of course I'm packing up and getting ready to get out of there. And then Ohio's forecast doesn't look too bad at, at this point. It looks like there's a little bit of rain, but it seems like we're going to get there on the back side of the rain, which could be really good. Um, with a, it seems like right now a little high pressure is going to roll in, which is which would be nice. The temps aren't super cold. It'll be you know high mid 30s at night is what it kind of looks like right now and then low 50s um, during the day is what it kind of seems like. So overall, it looks like so far the forecast doesn't look to be too too bad <clears throat> once we get to uh, once we get to Ohio. But uh, I won't belabor this up front. We'll just kind of jump into things. So today we're doing something a little bit different than John and I have done in the past. Um, you, you know, we, we I guess let me figure out how to say this. So, you know, being on social media and so forth, you know, I get I get a chance, you know, through the podcast to talk to a lot of people and have a lot of really great conversations. You know, I ask questions to plenty of people um, and, and, you know, and uh, folks are, you know, interested in reach out at time to time to see if, you know, if I could possibly answer a question for them, you know, related in, to a ton of different topics. Sometimes it's not even hunting related. But, um, you know, today I thought what would be really cool is to kind of take some of those questions that are uh, that have been kind of accumulating and kind of take some time and go through a handful of those and and have John and I answer those. Um, this is the first time we're doing a Q and A. Um, I got to say, obviously, you know, we recorded the Q and A in advance of me recording this upfront, so it was a lot of fun. Um, I think we'll probably do it more often. It's kind of interesting to see how the two of us would answer the, the questions, you know, slightly differently or slightly different rather. Um, so it was a lot of fun and look forward to doing those more often. If you have a question, uh, don't be shy. Go ahead and hit hit me up on. Instagram or Facebook and, and drop me a line and, and let me know what question you have. We'll try to fit it in at some point because we are going to try to do the uh, do the, you know, Q&A thing and answer some listener questions from time to time because it was a it was a lot of fun. And um, hopefully we are able to answer them appropriately and help some folks out and not necessarily damage any of their upcoming hunts with bad advice or bad information. Uh, one other thing, a little bit of housekeeping here to mention before I uh, before I wrap this piece up, um, is that I will be putting out a podcast a day is my, is my goal while I'm on rutcation. So you'll likely see, see and hear a lot from Chad and I, uh, to kind of keep tabs on that. We'll probably do some Instagram live stuff as well. So make sure you're tuned into Instagram, uh, turn on your notification if you want to be notified when we go live and so forth. Um, we'll be doing a daily update just to kind of what, what was happening in the timber, what we were seeing, you know, what type of deer movement we were seeing, you know, anything that we had seen from the stand, any, any encounters, just kind of giving you a, a day-by-day update. Um, and then we'll, of course, you know, have a podcast that's associated with that as well. So fingers crossed, I'll actually be able to do it every every single day. I'm debating whether or not I'll do um, you know, the the podcast, the day updates while I'm at my, at my dad's property since I will be solo. Um, that would be just me talking into a microphone. But if anything interesting happens, I'll likely do one. But if it's uh, if it's just the normal, you know, stand time with without much action, I'm, I might not. But the Ohio one will definitely happen. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And before we get this thing kicked off, let's go ahead and talk about our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. First and foremost, we are brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest, lastest, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. And right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. We're also brought to you by Exodus Outdoor Gear. The new Exodus Trek is a byproduct of all the consumer voices who have been excited about what Exodus Trail cameras have to offer. 
but just can't fit a $200 camera in their budget, and that's okay. A budget-friendly camera backed by the industry's leading warranty is now here. The Trek comes in at $145, has the same proprietary shell design as the Lift Series camera, same five-year warranty and unmatched customer service policies, 0.7-second trigger speed, photo, video, time-lapse, and hybrid modes, all with a simple single-line backlit LED display. You also get about 20,000 images on one set of lithium batteries. If you'd like to learn more about Exodus Trail cameras, check them out at ExodusOutdoorGear.com. If you dig what you see, save yourself 20 bucks and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout. We're also brought to you by Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, or fishing, You'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com. I'll be using my coolers, of course, on this trip because I actually cook all my food in advance of the trip. And I freeze it, so I eat a lot of chilies, a lot of soups, um, and things of that nature that I can easily transport. I take a crock pot. I throw all those frozen soups in, in gallon bags, toss them in my Glacier Cooler on the way and then I'm on my way to rut camp, and then every evening I let one out the thaw, throw it in the crock pot, and it is ready to rock and roll whenever I get home. So go ahead and check out Glacier Coolers. If you dig what you see, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save yourself 20%. Now let's go ahead and get this rut plan party started. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of The Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today we have in store for you one fine and dandy. John and Clint catch-up session and new listener Q&A. What's going on, John? I'm so excited for this Q&A session, dude. Awesome. I know. it's. Uh, I, I have a hard time believing anyone wants to ask us anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, a Q&A session proves that people actually do listen to the podcast. There you go. Exa- exactly. Well, uh, and I, actually, you know, there, there weren't any, you know, the question being, could you guys just shut up and stop? So that was that was a positive. There were there were none of those. <laughs> if you, yeah, so, I mean, you can find those on some iTunes ratings if you're if you if you're interested. You could you could read a couple of those on the iTunes ratings. But no, today John and I are going to just do a little bit of a catch up on what we've uh, had going on this uh, so far this this season since the last time we've had a chance to chat, and then we figured. You know, we've never done this before on the show. We've, you know, we thought we'd answer a couple questions. You know, you know, we always get, you know, pinged on, you know, whether it's on social media or, or an email or whatever, and or a direct message, and and, uh, and and folks ask some questions about, you know, things that we've heard or guests that we've had on or additional information about a topic that we covered, and always happy to help out and and you know and the. When, when we do get questions, but just thought this would be a nice way to kind of aggregate them because people, you know, out there might have similar questions. So we can probably kind of cover off for a bunch of folks in, in one fell swoop. And, uh, and it would be kind of kind of fun because as I kind of read through the questions, I guess I had a little bit of a I guess I'm cheating a little bit. I had the, the answers to the test to a degree because I saw all the questions before you, John. So you're going to be kind of uh, coming in cold, man. Are you having the uh, the cold sweats like the night before a test? Yeah, yeah, this is like pop quiz, pop quiz. Yeah, exactly. Only you, you can't fail. You can't fail this one. You're always a winner. That's John. that's always cool. Yeah, <laughs> nice. But before we jump into the, I just qu- have my pride and dignity to worry about. <laughs> yeah, well, in my in my book, there's not. I, I still don't have much to worry about in that in that case because you know, 
you get married. I'm over 40. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm married and over 40 with children. It's like I, I, those things have long been gone. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't seen those since like 30. <laughs> right. There you go. But uh, I figured before we jump into the questions, man, we'll do a little uh, catch up on the uh, season. So I know today when we were when we were talking earlier in the week, you had mentioned you weren't going to go out Thursday. And I was like, yep. oh, cool. I was like, well, you know, let's do a podcast that day. And uh, and then I text you today. I'm like, hey, so what time do you want to roll? And you're like, uh, I did go hunt, and you were out doing some freelance. And so, how was the uh, how was the freelance? Uh, wasn't bad. Um, you know, getting to see some new properties. It's you know, it's always interesting to me, like uh, even just putting eyeballs on different properties and see the way other people are hunting. Um, tonight, I had the opportunity to go hunt with a native, with a local that's been hunting the same property, um, you know, since he was a teenager. So it was interesting to kind of, um, to, to jump on there with him. And, and he's like, no dude, bring your bow. And I'm like, what? So, um, anyways, we both brought a bow and, and we were, uh, we were going to go do a, a hanging hunt. Um, and the cool thing was he hasn't been on this property in this area all season long. The bad problem is, is the honeysuckle had grown up so much that just wasn't going to work. We didn't have time to do all of our trimming and stuff like that. So I told him, I said, Hey man, instead of us being here, making a whole bunch of racket, let's save it for another day. Um, and let's just go jump in that blind. So he had a, he had an old grain wagon with a homemade blind built on top of it. Super cool. Very nostalgic. Uh, I can now say that I've hunted out of a grain bin, you know, grain wagon, but, right. um, it was neat. It's, it's a, it's a cool spot. And, um, like he has in years past, he will he he will have an encounter with a giant. I have no doubts. Yeah, yeah. This guy is, drops hammers with the uh, with with on the regular. I guess you could, you could say which is uh which is good for him, man. I can't say the same for me necessarily, but hey, anyone out there who can, I'm all for. It. It's like my buddy Rick from from New York. I sent you that picture of that deer he you know, he tagged that opening morning in New York, and I just saw another picture because yeah. he has two tags in New York, and he just he just dropped another one as of today. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So that guy always seems to get into, get into the hammers. So it's like, I'm always slightly envious of those folks, but I'm like, man, if you got it, dude, if you got the stick, swing it, (laughs) you know what I mean? I just, I haven't been, I haven't been able to find the stick. Shall we say that's been kind of, that's been the tale of my season actually, man. It's like, I know you and I've chatted, you know, via text and a little bit, you know, on the podcast and stuff, but you know, I have some decent deer that I'm after. I just, it seems like I'm one day to two days behind them religiously. Like, uh-huh. and I can't seem to figure them out because I've been, you know, hunting these, these swamp bucks and they've been kind of giving me fits a little bit because I've been, you know, I've been checking out with the trail camera data and then I've had the one encounter, you know, with the, with the one shooter live and I've been watching, you know, what wins they want to move on and stuff like that. And, and I was actually talking to my buddy Greg Litzinger about it because he hunts a lot of swamps and he hunts a lot of beds and I, and I'm pretty I was pretty certain that I was in on these guys you know bedroom and you know I I was texting him one day because I was like man like I can't figure these guys out I was like because you know the one the one deer all of a sudden like I had him on like a north northeast wind you know that was whenever he was wanting to move during daylight I was like and then all of a sudden like you know, two weeks later or whatever, I was like, I have him one like a South Southwest wind using the same bedding area. I was like, it's just any wind, any wind does like he's, he's in that area and he's, you know, there during daylight. And I was like, you know, in this one particularly, I was like, he's showing up between like 
he's there around like noon, three thirty, like early. You know what I mean? So, and then this new deer shows up, and he's kind of a morning guy, you know, and he's passing through in the morning, and he's also doing the same thing where he's using just about any wind direction. Like it's not like there's a rhyme or a reason to like the wind that he's using to move. And I was trying to figure out what the deal was, and he said to me, like it's been his experience is what he said that he's like whenever you you know, get in close to like, to betting like that. He was like, if they're willing to move on any wind, he's like, you know, to me, he's like, that kind of says that you're, you're all up in their business, you know, in their wheelhouse. And they're so comfortable in that betting area that they're, that they're willing to move on any wind, you know? So that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like, I didn't think about it until he said it. I was like, you know what? That's, that's probably what it is, you know? And, and, uh, which makes it incredibly hard to figure out (laughs) when to go hunt them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because there's, it's there's not necessarily the right wind day for them. Now there's the wind day that I have to watch for just to make sure that the wind isn't going to necessarily blow into the bedding and blow it out, which means the only wind I really can't hunt is really like a straight West wind is the only thing I can't hunt. Um, everything else will work, you know, in, in that particular spot for the most part. But so that's been my story in there, man, I'm going to put on one more hunt uh, on the, you know, the last Saturday, la- the last Saturday of October, I guess it's the 26th. Is that what it is? 26th or 27th? I can't remember what the date is, but that'll be probably my last trip in, in to hunt those guys until I leave for Ohio. And then if I don't get anything in, in PA before that, then I'll, I'll probably take another crack at them in, in second season. But that's been what's going on here, man. Tagged a doe and got some freezer meat and otherwise looking forward to the rut and getting ready to uh, make my my trip to, uh, to Ohio to try to get the, uh, to try to put, put a Buckeye on the ground. There you go. Yeah. I like the sounds of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, th- you know, this year it's been, uh, uh, scout more than you hunt. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, I've made a few stabs. I, I, I've made a big play into the public ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I sat that, uh, two or three days, uh, straight hunted that pretty hard. I had, a you know, a 135, 140, 10 pointer come in. Um, good friend of mine, Chancey Walters, uh, with, uh, the company, big buck ruiner. He, uh, he came down and we were doing a photo shoot for glacier coolers actually. And nice, uh, midday, uh, we got the shoot done and he's like, Hey, let's, you know, let's, let's go jump in a stand. So we went and jumped in a stand in public and that was on the tail end of my, um, you know, my three or four day, you know, blast in their blitz. We'll call it a blitz, a blitz session. Right. Um, we had a nice buck and it's a buck I've got on trail camera, but you know, it looks like a three-year-old and, uh, I kind of went for, you know, went through the motions, you know, the arm movements, like I was, you know, you know, drawing my bow and, um, I stopped him, you know, in a shooting lane and, you know, just, you can never get enough practice. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, he trotted off and cool video encounter and, and if he makes it, he'll be, uh, he'll be a stud next year. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a good, you know, good looking deer now. Right. I'm not, you know, yeah, there's uh, degrading him because right. of his three-year-old status, but, um, you know, in public land, it, you know, that, that's a phenomenal buck. Um, but I've been fortunate to get some pictures of some bigger mature deer in there. So, um, you know, I was willing to give him, let him go and let him, let him pass. But I called, uh, I called a buddy of mine, 
and he's like, dude, you let that go in public? He's like, whenever you go into public land, you get a one-year and 10-inch handicap right off the bat before you can get out of the truck, you know? <laughs> so, That's awesome. Um, but I hope I don't regret, you know, letting that deer. I Actually, I already know I'm not going to regret letting that deer go. I had a cool encounter, and it was fun, so that's good. But on some of my other properties, I've really been laying off them completely. You know, I planted those uh, with that Wicked Greens, mm-hmm. and, and yep. I really set those properties up for um, cold, cold, cold weather and late season, you know, is what, what I was going for. And as we're doing this podcast right now, I'm actually going through SD cards. Um, one of my shooters, um, on the 23rd. So today's Thursday, Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning, I woke up and and I looked outside and I'm like kicking myself. I'm like, why didn't I go hunt this morning? Why didn't I now? I don't know what stand I would have gone to. I might not have gone to the right stand. Um, But if I would have gone to one stand in particular, he would have walked through in daylight that morning right underneath my nose. (laughs) Nice. Is this this the one you got pictures of this summer? Uh, No. no. Uh, It's not that one. That one has completely up and vanished. He's just Gandhi, man. Like, he shed velvet and just disappeared so obviously i don't have his fall range you know i had a summer range and at some point in his loop and that's about it but this is a buck that actually showed up about a month ago um hard horned and he's got forked g3s on both sides oh that's cool um just a cool cool deer looks like he's four um it's probably gonna be in like the mid 50s range you know Mm -hmm. something like that but He's a super awesome deer, and I'd be happy to um, put a tag around him, you know? Yeah, but, for, um, for sure. He is starting to show up more and more regular. So, you know, one of my tactics, uh, we get into the season, and I start moving all my cameras off of whether it be a mineral site or a feed site where I was getting inventory, and I start moving them to scrapes and stuff. So I've got all my cameras now moved over to scrapes or scrape trails, you know what I mean? Right, yep. Uh, in between two scrapes. And I've got him on three cameras now uh, hmm. in a straight line. Interesting. So, <sighs> so what do you what that, are you thinking, man? Like, is it is his pattern pretty solid? Do you think, or or it's pretty, it's getting more and more consistent. That's the funny part. Is you know, it went from having one picture of him a month ago to then having a picture of him two weeks, mm-hmm. and then a week and a half ago, and then a week ago. And now it's like five pictures in the last seven days. Hmm. Interesting. Is there doe bedding near there? Is it like he's making that round? Um, Yeah, there's bedding all around um, on both sides. And so the one property, it's 120 acres. And I I have two tree stands uh, on the property. And those two tree stands are probably 300 yards apart. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, realistically, it's like I'm only really hunting five acres, yeah, seven acres of this property, yeah. That's and it. I'm li- I'm just trying to leave everything else alone. Now I might be abandoning. There's probably people listening going, "Oh, you're an idiot," you know. Look at all the rest of that property that you're forgetting. Um, but it's that that's that's what I'm trying to do. I'm really kind of honing in on this straight line from. So there's a piece of timber. Uh, there's a, uh, I can't, I don't I guess you can call it a finger, you know, it's about 
80 yards wide, you right. know, but um, um, it, it is the most narrow point for him to cross in the open. So I've got one tree stand in that timber finger, and then I have a tree stand on my food plot. Okay. Um, and it's Scrape City, you know, in, all in between there. Nice. Yeah. So I think a- what he's doing is I think that's part of his loop. Instead of going out in the open across this big open fescue field, if he if he went to the north, he'd have to cross 400 yards of open fescue. But if he crosses between these two points of timber, then he's only exposed for about 100 yards. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. That's that. So uh, kind of starting to key in on that deer. Um, I've actually got a new buck that's showing up on my personal property on my food plot, but he's really, really nocturnal. You know, he's like mm-hmm. 2 a.m. nocturnal. Right. Um, he's coming home from the bar so drunk we'll nocturnal. So we'll see if he gets, gets, gets into daylight any at all. Um, right. And maybe he's killable. But, uh, um, you know, then, I, like I said, the public, um, that's 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 my options. But, you know, man, I tell you, you know, you, you try to get more and more ground, and then if you're not careful, you can get too spread out. Yeah. And, you know, you spend two or three days on this property when you check your trail cameras on property B, and you're like, damn, you know? Right. I could have, you know, I had I had daylight walkers, and I just missed it. So, um, but then, you know, flip the coin, and if you spend all your time on one property, you smoke it out, right? So. Right. Ah, damned if you do, damned if you don't, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, the one thing is, those, man, you laid a plan earlier this year when we when we started talking about, you know, I forget what episode it was, but we were talking about our goals and, you know, tactics yep. and what our approach was going to be for this year and how it was going to be different from, you know, last year or years past in general. And the one thing you had mentioned was is that you were going to, you know, be choosy early in the season and that you were that you were – doing something different and setting your properties up for much later in, in the season, as opposed to, you know, October into November, it was more of a, you know, early November into late season play was kind of what your strategy was. And, you know, kudos to you because you have like, you have held fast on it. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not not as disciplined. You know, I'd have a hard time (laughs) not, not diving in. And I know, I'm sure it kills you some days. It's just like just talking about that deer that passed that camera. You're like, damn it, I should have got up and hunted that. But you're you're you know you're playing your plan. You know what I mean? So, um, so that's good. You know, it's 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 interesting that the that that deer kind of makes a loop because it's it's funny because like this time of year, right? It's like they should become less and less patternable as you get closer and closer to the rut, except for maybe the exception of like you know a scrape line that they're going to work. But it's like. Scrapes will scrapes will turn on and then go and then go cold just as quickly as they'll turn on. You know what I mean? It's like you'll go in one week and like there's nothing. You go in the next week, you know the woods blow up for two two weeks where it's just like sign everywhere. Then all of a sudden it goes cold again. Like a a certain scrape line will go cold. You know it's like so it's interesting that you have him on some type of like scrape pattern. I'm interested. Did when you're seeing him was it after was it after a rain possibly? Um, one, one, uh, one picture was right after a rain, fresh going through, freshing mm-hmm. up a scrape in daylight and then, uh, showed up in my food plot on those scrapes on that cold frosty morning. We yeah. had a real good frost, um, Tuesday morning hmm. and 
I mean, it, I, you have no idea. I mean, all day long, I was sitting there buried in front of my computer with like real job work. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, man, you should have said, stick it to the man today. Like you really should have just gone and got the tree and hunted this morning <laughs> instead of doing your job. <laughs> Dude, that was exactly how I felt this morning. Cause this morning was the, at least on this side of the state, it may have happened a, a day or two earlier on the Western part of the state, but on this side of the state to, this morning was the first frost. Like I walked outside this morning, at like 6am to take the dog out. The yard had frost on it. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I was working from home today. So it was like the opportunity to slip out was there. Um, but I just have a bunch of work to do before I take my vacation to go hunt for a couple of weeks. So there was no getting out, but it was killing me too, man. I was sitting there the entire time just thinking, I was like, you know what? I bet you every single big deer I have on camera and that stinking piece of public land is probably walking right by where I typically, where I would hunt their bedding. Guarantee it. Yeah. I'll hunt it Saturday and I will pull the camera card and I will look and I promise you there will be, I'm going to say there's going to be two shooters in daylight at that spot. So what are you going to do though, man? You can't be everywhere all the time and someone's going to pay the, someone's going to pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's got to keep the lights on. Yeah. I didn't hit the mega million for anyone out there who was wondering. (laughs) I I didn't either. Yeah. I did. I did play and I had already planned out exactly what I was going to do. Um, <laughs> which was probably why I didn't win. Uh, but you know, n- nonetheless, it was fun to dream for like a day, you know, about what I would do with, you know, it one, is. 1. 1.6. Well, there was a, there was a thing on the news. They were talking about the, the, the release of endorphins. Like when you're standing there at the cash register and, and, you know, they're like, yeah, what do you need? And you're like, Oh, give me, you know, five pound, you know, mega million tickets, you know? And, and as the the machines like printing out that ticket, they you know they talk about this release of endorphins where people just for like five seconds, you know it might even be like orgasmic or something you know. But you're just like for that split second you're thinking, oh my god, what if this is the winning ticket? You know what I mean? Yeah. And you get to you get to like live out a little fantasy for like you know five seconds while you're standing there in the gas station. Yeah, I mean it's getting so high now. It's like I mean the last I looked, it was like 1.6 billion. It's like people are going to be turning tricks on the corner to buy more tickets here in the uh, yeah. Well, so, there was a winner in South Carolina. Oh, there was. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah, know there that. was one winner, and I don't know if they've claimed or not, but there was a winning ticket sold in South Carolina. Now there was a ton of the million dollar winners. Mm, Um, I guess it's like five numbers, but they didn't get the Powerball or something like that or six. I don't know what it was, but, uh, but yeah, there was one winning ticket in South Carolina. So um, they didn't claim right away, which I can tell you right now, if I won, first thing I'm doing is changing my name. Yep. All of my immediate family is getting like burner phones. Yep. And they they'll get a cash prize for them to take a sledgehammer to their old phone. Yeah. Um, but I I'm changing my name, and you know, I'm not going to say it's a curse because it'd be awesome. But dude, you'd have to just bury yourself underground. Think about every person that doesn't like you. Yep. They're coming after you now. Well, it's funny. Every ex girlfriend is coming after you now. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about it actually when I was driving home. Now, this is not deer related at all, but it's fun to talk about these things. <laughs> um, I was actually thinking about it when I was coming to work or coming home from work the one day because I was like, you know, what would you actually do? Because you always hear about the curse, and you know, it's it it makes some people's lives more difficult. You know what I mean? It's like I always say, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'd love to have that kind of problem. You know, but you know, it yeah, really it, wine, it, wine problems, right? 
but it really does come with some challenges. Cause I was like, you know, I was like, if I were to win tomorrow, I was like, you know, you couldn't tell anyone at first. It's like, you of course have to get like, you know, a, a good accountant and an attorney and figure out what you're going to do with all the, the money before you actually get it. That way you have a plan and this, that, the other, and it's just not like sitting around. I was like, but I was like, I couldn't live where I live. You know what I mean? I was like, you, you have to, then you have so much dough at that point, you become a target, you know? So you have to get the house with like the gate and the whatever to try to keep people from, you know, crazy people from doing bad shit essentially you know what i mean it's like if you have to all of a sudden like switch on and be and be alert because there's you have a lot to to lose i guess and not necessarily the money but just you know because of how you know some people might act toward you or or want things they might want to do to you because of i'm like man how bad would that suck it's like i don't want to sell my house it's like i'd rather just like have all the money just continue to live where i live you know what i mean but yeah you know no you're um you're exactly right. I mean, you know, in, like in my past life, uh, law enforcement, any person that I ever put in jail or put in prison in my life, they're coming after me. Like they're suing me from their jail cell. Yeah. You know, <laughs> exactly. I just, you'd like I said, you'd have to, you'd have to change your name and just go off the grid. And, yep. um, and I mean, I, I would do everything in my power to not tell anybody. Oh you yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That would be my, that would be my game plan. It would be, I think I'd follow the same path, man. Name change, you know, yep. first get, you know, all the legal stuff in order, name change, and then, you know, basically disappear for, to yeah. wherever, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and tell, you know, of course, you know, very close family and, you know, loved ones and so on and so forth. But that would be, you know, you all of a sudden have to get a very, very small circle of people and that's it. Oh man. Know? Well, and you know, it's funny too, cause I remember when I was younger, my dad would always tell me, he said, uh, you know, you got a lot of friends right now, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, like, especially like in your high school, you know, whatever. But he's like, well, when you get to be my age, like if you can count how many close friends you've got on one hand, like you're doing good or, you know, that's normal. But like if you right. could fill up your hand, then, you know, that's that's amazing. You know, right. um, and I totally get what he's what he's talking about, you know, totally understand it. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where you, you know, sometimes you have fallen out with someone, or you, you know, you just don't agree with sure. them any longer about certain things or whatever. And then other ones, it's just like distance and time happens, where it's like, ah, I like that guy, yep. but you know, we don't ever see each other anymore, and we don't really have much in common any longer. So it's like, yeah, yeah, but that's that's about right, man. You know, it's like one ish, two ish hands. You know, just it's it's yep. it's quality over quantity these day, these days. Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. You know, Spe- yeah, without a doubt. Speaking of quality, let's. Uh, yep. I think we, we should quality Q and A. Yeah, let's do some quality Q and A and see uh, and see if we have any quality answers here. So, the way we'll do this is some folks did give me their names, so I'll I'll give them some some love, you know, and, and mention their 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 name so they can get credit for the oh, super cool for the question. Uh, and uh, we'll just kind of go through these. I'll read them and then we'll decide who's going to respond first. So I'll okay. let you take this one. You can take the first answer to this. Okay. So okay. this, this fella here writes in and says, would like to hear your, 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 you know, you guys opinion on the pros and cons of growing up hunting and being taught versus learning to hunt later in life, being self-directed or self-taught, um, you know, from a learning standpoint and maybe the reasons why, 
you know, learning to hunt doesn't have a structure or certificates, you know, and that you're not really taught how to hunt specific game animals and stuff like that. So I'll let mm-hmm. you go ahead and take a stab at that one first. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's no secret. I, you know, I didn't grow up hunting. Um, I didn't buy my first deer license until I was 22 years old. So 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the nice things for me getting into it at a later stage was maybe I was a little more financially sound that, you know, I could pick up a couple of items. Um, you know, you, you hear uh, people talk about when they were younger and they were hunting and they're like, yeah, I had this old bow and, you know, I didn't even have any camo and, and, you know, it was, it was rough or whatever, you know, but, um, so I think getting into it later was kind of nice, but as far as learning, um, I would like to think that when I was 22, I was more intelligent than I was at 10. Mm-hmm. So maybe I could, um, I could apply just general knowledge. Um, and I think at that age, you're a little more driven, um, about your hobbies. So, you know, I completely immersed myself, um, at the public library, checking out books hmm. on, whitetail strategy and uh hunt deer and deer hunting books and that kind of stuff but um there is times that i i definitely even that being said i regret not having somebody that could kind of handhold so to speak mm-hmm. and really kind of teach me some of that early woodsmanship because i would just be more knowledgeable about hunting you know that i am now um which is never a bad thing you know i try to learn every year so if i could have been learning since when i was 10 versus starting to learn when i was 22 i'd be 12 years ahead right um but uh at the end of the day i mean i'm not i'm not sad that you know i got into it when i did um right. at least i got into it right yeah, so exactly but yeah there's definitely some different strategies um that come into play when you're older um, now that also being said, you know, just the thing we were talking about earlier about work life, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times work did get in the way. I was young, I was out of college, I was trying to grind, I was trying to, you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, make something of myself financially and in my career. And, um, so that also, you know, came into, came into play versus when you're a kid, you know, let's say you don't have a job or responsibilities like that then um you know it's just school and school and hunt right right so now it's uh it's work and kids and wife and hunt and work and work and work and work and work and then hunt and you know so <laughs> there's a lot uh, of different things in come there. into play <laughs> there was a lot of work yeah. in there <laughs> there's just a little bit too much work in there sometimes <laughs> yeah um but yeah that's that's me in a nutshell yeah that'd be how i'd answer that yeah so for me i mean you know again it's as you mentioned it's no secret i you know grew up you know which is always kind of interesting whenever you and i get together and talk about things because we we did kind of approach and come to hunting not only do we live in different areas with different you know what i'll say quality of hunting we'll say in terms of Mm -hmm. the caliber of deer and stuff like that but we also you know whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt at MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, 
Log on to MidwayUSA.com. You came into hunting in different ways. As you mentioned, you know, you were, you know, you know, later in life you got into it. And for me, it was one of those things as Pennsylvania is a huge, you know, hunting heritage state. It was just kind of like a birthright. You know, like when I was getting ready to turn 12 years old, it was like everyone went and, you know, I can remember whenever I was turning 12 that year, everyone in my sixth grade class, like every boy in that class was at that hunter safety course that, you know, that summer, I guess it was, or that early fall. You know, like everyone was, it was like, none of them, you know, every single kid in my class was at that, it was, you know, at my school class was at that hunter safety course class, you know, to get their, to get their license. So that was just like the thing you did. It wasn't even a question as to whether or not you were going to do it. I mean, I started going out into the timber with my dad when I was, you know, one of my first memories is almost cutting off my own thumb with one of his knives as he was, you know, skinning a turkey, you know what I mean? So it was like, it was just always something that I was, you know, you know, kind of immersed in to a degree, you know, I think there's pros and cons to it though, you know, which is, you know, what they were more so asking about, you know, and I think the pro is, is that, yeah, I got to enjoy a lot of it through, you know, in my life and spend a lot of time in the timber when I was a kid. And that was kind of like my playground to a degree. And, you know, and got the, you know, I was fortunate I lived in a piece of piece of ground. We owned a little bit of ground. So, you know, I could kind of walk out my back door once I got of age to, you know, to be trusted with a weapon in the woods by myself. And I could just kind of go out and try to figure stuff out by myself. And which was which was nice, you know, but, you know, I think the, the part of the con, though, is, too, is that as you pass hunting heritage down, you know, you inevitably pass down like certain myths and certain things that aren't truths about hunting, too. You know, and and so it takes time to kind of unravel, you know, or decouple those things, you know, if you're open minded enough to do that, you know what I mean? To understand that the way you learned, even though that's the way you learn necessarily isn't, you know, true or accurate, (laughs) you know what I mean? So, you know, there's things like that to get past to you as well that you have to kind of, you know, figure out when you get a little older, you know, but, you know, I think the con of it for me personally was, and this is just me, you know, from my personal experience was because it was just something that naturally was happened and it wasn't like I had to ask for it or, you know, I'll say work for it as well because it was just, my dad was something my dad wanted to give to me and pass to me was that you really didn't learn to appreciate it until you got a little older, you know, because it probably, Mm -hmm. I probably didn't have an appreciation for how much hunting really meant to me. Actually probably until I hit probably until I turned like 28, 29, almost 30. You know, because, you know, I, as I'd mentioned in this you know, podcast many times before, it's like I hunted all my life growing up until I hit probably my early 20s. And then music kind of took over and I didn't have a lot of time. And so my time was spent, you know, kind of, you know, chasing that passion. And so I didn't spend nearly as much time in the in the timber or focused on hunting. And that was really the time when I realized I had took had taken it for granted, like when I was growing up and all that freedom that I had to go just hunt and do whatever I wanted to do. Um, so to me, that was kind of the con, I think there's always value in kind of the way you, the approach you took John in terms of like being self-directed, you know, I think there's always a lot of, you know, when you do something yourself, man, you, you've earned it and you appreciate it, you know what I mean? Um, and you're willing to put the work in and grind it and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think there's, I think there's positives and negatives to both sides. I, just like you said, it's like, I, I don't ever regret the way, you know, (laughs) that I was fortunate enough to be brought into hunting at, at an early age. You know, I, I wish that maybe um, some of the approaches maybe would have been a little bit different or exposed to different types of hunting earlier, earlier on. But those are just minor, minor gripes. 
to cover like what they were, you know, one part of the question asked about certifications and, you know, why there aren't more like courses and seminars and stuff like that. You know, I think, I think that there are, but I just think that you have to uncover them, right? I think places like QDMA and, and stuff like that do a good job of putting on seminars with guys who, guys and girls who know a lot about, you know, different facets of, um, you know, hunting and, and different facets of different types of game that you would chase and stuff like that. You know, I know that they do one at Cabela's here that's near me every year. Um, you know, the one was done by Neil Daughtry, you know, big habitat specialist talked about, you know, deer habitat and bio, you know, their biology. They had someone from Penn State University come down that was a, a deer biologist and talk and kind of talk about all the like different research that they've been doing. There was someone from the Pennsylvania State Game Commission there. So, I mean, there are things that, that go on and, and I agree they may not be as frequent or or as robust as maybe we would like, but you know, there are some things out there. I think the challenge is though, is that, you know, every state is different and every region within states are different too, because they're all managed on a region, like game is managed on a regional level. So it's hard to have like an all encompassing approach to like white tailed deer. Cause it's different in any habitat. It's different in different states. Um, so I think that that's kind of like a little bit of a challenge, but I don't know. Do you have anything else yeah. to add to that one? Or do you think we, Think well, we adequately covered yeah, that. Yeah, so like you know what you were just saying. I mean, I think when it comes to the habitat management stuff, um, there's some great, some really really knowledgeable people that do a phenomenal job putting out information about stuff. Um, you mentioned QDMA doing like the stewardship programs and stuff like that. Those are those are awesome. But when it comes to tactics, yeah, I mean we're our own worst enemy. You know. Mm-hmm when I was younger, so, cause I didn't have anybody to teach me hunting. It was a lot of trial and error. So I'd watch a TV show. Right. Yep. And I would see Michael Waddell and he was, he snort, he just snort wheezed a buck in. So for the next five sits in the woods, what do you think I did? <laughs> right. I was snort wheezing like crazy. You know what <laughs> I mean? I was rattling and rattling. I'm like, well, that didn't work. You know, yep. um, it, they're such, you know, they're wild animals. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, the other day I was sitting at a tree. I didn't see a single deer. I was sitting in some acorns and I really thought I was going to see something out there. Um, a buddy of mine was uh, three quarters of a mile away in a patch of acorns. And he's like, I'm covered up. He's sending me Snapchat pictures of all these deer underneath his stand. And I'm like, hmm, that's weird. You know, <laughs> we both had the same wind. We had kind of a similar setup. Our entry exit was the same. We had ag fields nearby that even had the same crop in them this year and just totally different scenarios. So, you know, I think that's where a lot of that comes from is you can teach tactics, um, but we're all still chasing wild animals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not foolproof. I think the one place, as far as education goes, it's like, you know, there are guys out there that do those tactical seminars and stuff like that. Like the Dan Enfalt, he'll go out and scout a piece of timber, mm-hmm. timber yep. with you. And, you know, and he'll do a group thing where he takes a group of people out and walks them through swamps and shows them where he's finding bedding and how he approaches setting stands. And John Eberhart does the same, does the same thing. So there are guys out there that do that. But the other thing is too, is like, you know, it's, it's less formal, but it's, you know, shows like this show or shows like, you know, you know, wired to hunt or shows like, you know, just any number of podcasts out there, whitetail podcasts mm-hmm. or hunting podcasts. It's, you know, you bring on experts, you know, or, or guys who are just, you know, really adept at, at putting deer on the ground or any, whatever the species is, you know, these are the informal ways to pick up those tactics and kind of get those seminars and get those, yeah. you know, courses, you know what I mean? Cause I always feel like, 
you know, it's like I listened to Don Higgins talk, right? I just listened to him talk about some stuff a couple of weeks ago. And it like it, it was, I picked up a few things from him just in terms of the timing of, of hunting, when to hunt the rut, when he likes to hunt the rut and why. It's something I never would have thought of, but it's something I definitely want to try going forward. And it was I don't I won't necessarily get into what that was specifically, but I picked up a huge tactic from him just in that moment. You know what I mean? And it was nothing more mm-hmm. than listening to him talk in a podcast about some stuff. So I think there are resources out there. You just, I think, have to think about the resources in not such a formal way because there's a lot of information out there. But, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Take it all Take it all in. Give it a whirl. Try it. Uh, I think, obviously, like with anything in life, you learn more from the mistakes. You yeah. know, yeah. I think back to the, the first year I was in Iowa and um, – you know, I had a big buck and, and everything that I, everything in my body said, don't do anything, but I couldn't stand it. I couldn't resist it. I had to try to force to make something happen. And, and I snort wheezed at a buck and, um, would have been the biggest buck I've ever killed in my life. Yep. And I had him at 50 yards behind a tree. And when I snort wheezed at him, it completely freaked him out. And he went hightailing the other direction. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Lesson learned. But I saw it on television. It worked for them. And now... You know, I learned. I mean, I, I went back and I watched the video footage and I watched his body language and I, I watched the way he responded to that. Um, he knew there wasn't another deer that close to him. You mm-hmm. know, why was I trying to snort wheeze at a deer that was only 50 yards away in open timber? Yeah. You know, stupid mistake. And But I learned from it. So uh, if I'm ever fortunate enough to be in that position again, I know what I won't do. <laughs> right. And that's a lot of times that's the more important piece is what, what shouldn't I do? It'll probably get you further than knowing yeah. what to do most times, but yeah, so sometimes, man, you know, you're better off just just doing nothing. Yeah, you know? exactly. When in doubt, do nothing. You know, that's my do kind of policy in yeah. a tree. But uh, <laughs> the uh, so I think we pretty I think we adequately covered covered that. So yep. um, all right, so we'll move on to number number two, the deuce, and uh, and I guess I'll take. Just we'll we'll kind of rotate back and forth. I'll take the first step yeah, at this one, cool. I guess. So shameless plug here. He says he started by saying, "Love your podcast." So I like this guy already. Um, oh, he's <laughs> this guy's an all star. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna send you something probably. Uh, love, love the podcast. Listen to every episode. I would like to hear some information on what you would do to learn or to figure out a piece of land without the ability to feed, put the, you know, put out cameras or use modern aerial imagery. And this is from Aaron Rowe. So Aaron, when you sent this over, it made me like, I really had to stop and think about it because, you know, in my lifetime, for the most part, when I was a kid, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, You know, and we didn't have game cameras or trail cameras or anything like that. You know, I'm sure they were around, but you know, we, we didn't have any. Um, we never really baited or anything growing up, you know, so I didn't have these things, but I also didn't know what the hell I was doing. So it wasn't like I was assessing land necessarily. You know, I think this, I think is where guys, you know, like, a like a Dan and or like if I use like a, you know, a buddy of mine, like a, you know, a, a Greg Litzinger or those guys and, you know, or guys that have a really popular YouTube channel right now that I think, you know, would kind of fall into this outside of, you know, when they're using Onyx maps, but the, the hunting public guys is sure. you just kind of have to, I, I think you would start, I would start with kind of figuring out where, what, what type of hunting scenario I wanted to have. Right. So I don't think it's too terribly different 
at the upfront of planning your hunt. Cause this, that's really what this comes down to. You got a new piece of ground. You're trying to plan your hunt. You want to figure out where you're going to go. It's like, figure out what your goal is, what caliber of animal you want to kind of go after, figure out what part of a state, whatever state it is that you're in, where that's at. And then, you know, figure out if it's public, private, whatever, whatever it is. Right. And then I think from there, if it's public, I think at that point, then, you know, I think the first thing you should probably do is figure out who are the deer biologists or the the people who are responsible for the tracts of land that you're going to be, ha- that you have access to, right? In terms of like the wildlife management, can you get a hold of someone in that capacity to kind of start to understand? Because those folks have put tons of boots on the ground in those specific, you know, pieces of timber or those plots of ground where they could probably point you in the right direction for access. They could probably point you in the right direction for the right type of habitat you're looking for to hunt whatever species it is that you want to hunt. Right. So that's probably the first place I would start would be there. And then after that, to me, that's, this is where just straight woodsmanship comes up, you know, or comes into play where now you really, you know, you know, have to dive in and put boots on the ground and kind of, you know, use what you know about the, whatever the animal, whatever species it is that you're hunting, you know, in, in terms of trying to track down where they're bedding, you know, where they're living, how they're traveling, um, cut, cutting tracks. If, you know, if, if you're capable of doing that and understanding, you know, how to read those types of things. Um, it also, I think kind of, you know, one thing that'll kind of impact that is what time of year are you going there to put boots on the ground? You know, it's like, you know, you really probably want to hit it a couple of times cause you, you'd want to hit it probably you know, ideally right after rut, if you could, to understand where all the rut sign is, if, if you're hunting deer, you probably want to go back, you know, during the summer, just to kind of reconfirm, you know, what you thought you knew in terms of, you know, the, the, the travel, you know, the, the, I guess the trails that you would kind of see defined there would, I would assume would probably be more food source trails, you know, to, to a degree. So you could probably start to figure out, you know, where your main, you know, um, I guess food sources would be. Um, and then you might want to go and do some observation sits, you know, I think right either, I wouldn't be afraid at this point, if you were lived close to it, I wouldn't be afraid, you know, before the season even started kind of jumping into some places that, that you're not going to burn up, that you're out of the way, that you're not going to be bumping deer and just hang a stand and sit and watch a couple evenings and see what deer are doing. And then even as you get into the season, I would probably still, I would do that then even still, um, Cause you're really kind of starting at a disadvantage if you don't understand the topography. So you really have to put boots on the ground. You really have to rely on observation. So that would probably be the way that I would tackle it. I'm by no means an expert at that, but that would probably be how I would approach. It. I don't know if you would do anything similar or different, John. Um, so one simple thing is if go talk to the neighbors, do yeah. some detective and, Hey, you're going to be hunting some property next door. You know, you guys been seeing any good deer. It, they're not going to shoot you. They're not going to eat you. The worst they can do is lie to you. Right. And if they're going to lie to you, they're going to say, no, I haven't been seeing anything. If they say, ah, there's been a couple of decent bucks that have been, uh, you know, we've seen in this field or we've seen crossing the road here. If they tell you that there's a nine time out of 10 that they're, they're not lying to you. You know, yeah. I mean, people think, well, maybe they're throwing me a wild goose chase or something. Maybe, but generally speaking, that's not going to happen. Yeah. The other thing that I would do is shed season. I love shed hunting. Uh, and the whole time I'm shed hunting, I'm looking at trails and it, those old muddy trails mm-hmm. weren't just made, you know, right? like those were made. They're just more obvious now. Right. Um, you know, than they were during the season with leaves on. So 
look for old trails um look for bed you know bedding areas if you get out there there's snow still on the ground you can find some some beds um and you're going to find a bunch of old rubs so yeah in shed season that's useless to you but put that you know you find a big rub line um you know a buck came through there and i don't know how many times i see habitual rub trees more often than not i see habitual rub trees so or if there's a cluster of five rubs one of those will be a habitual rub tree Mm -hmm. and you'll see it scarred up where it's healed over and then they've rubbed on it either in a new spot or on the backside the next you know the next year so i like looking for those things um and like you said boots on the ground um i'm a firm believer just this is my theory i have nothing to substantiate this other than just memory 20 percent of deer that summer in a place will stay there mm-hmm. i just now they might come back through during the season um but they're not gonna I, I just don't think you know bucks just don't typically summer where they fall and um so putting boots on the ground and uh early in the season if that's all you got to try to learn the property and the layout sure as far as looking for that kind of sign, it's probably not going to be that beneficial to you later. Um, I think the the rubs and, and also when you're in shed season, most of the leaves have already fallen through the fall. And, um, you know, I, I find scrapes during shed season all the time, mm-hmm. you know, where the, the dirt's still bare. Um, so put those in your, you know, in, in your mind. One thought I have on rubs is... Once a deer kind of goes through there and rubs up that area, I don't see the bucks coming back to those spots like a whole, whole bunch. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, every day I got I to gotta freshen up my rub like I freshened up my scrape, you know? Right. So I like scrapes better than rubs. Rubs tell me, it gives me sign, but it's not like, oh, this is hot. I like scrapes better. Um. Yeah, I think, the, and you know, when you're doing the boots on the ground, looking for pinch points, looking for ridges, high bluffs, any high section, um, you know. Yeah, I and just kind of be thinking about the old theory of, be thinking of the theory of, you know, hunt low in the mornings and you know high in the evenings. Yeah, I think the one thing I would add to you know all the stuff that we mentioned is I would consider when you plan to hunt it too. You know what I mean? Like when? Oh, for sure. You know, so you kind of know what's going to be. Yeah, depending on what state they're in when the season yeah. opens. I mean, yeah. if they can get on a buck early, yeah, 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 exactly. It's like what state are you hunting in is going to play into it. You know what? You know what part of the season are you going to be hunting? Because if you're going to be hunting, you know, mid October, you know, it's I would I would be really focusing or or really really paying attention to what type of acorn drop there was going to be in that particular area. You know what I mean? Like, could you find, sure. could you find acorn trees? You know what I mean? Like, a, or, or mm-hmm. white oaks rather, you know, it's like, so things like that would be, you know, in, in, important as well. It's like, if it's early season, it's like, well, you better find the food and you better find the bedding, you know, cause those are the two, those are your plays during that time of the year. And it's kind of the same during the late season, you know? So I think overall too, it's like, I would definitely focus on trying to figure out where, you know, where buck bedding is and where doe bedding is. Cause if you can just figure out those handful of things, you'll at least be around mm-hmm. deer. Um, and then from there you can kind of tighten your, tighten your grip on the, on, you know, on your, on your approach to kind of get in tighter or closer or give yourself better, better opportunities. But 
you know, you can't kill them where they're not. So it's like, you know, I think betting is always one of the prime things you want to try to try to locate. And from that, you know, it's just if, if you don't have a map and you, and you can't see the terrain and stuff like that, just start walking further than you think anyone else would walk. <laughs> and that will probably, you know, yeah. and that will be most likely where you'll start to find find deer if it's public. Yeah. So, yeah. And early season water. If it's yeah. uh, if your season comes in really, really early and there's a water source somewhere, that's not a bad place to at least check out, you know? Yeah. So, all right. I think we covered covered that one. Yep. The uh, the next one. These here, are fun. Yeah, I know. I, I dig these, man. We need to do this more often. Um, yeah. So the next one is uh, a, from Galen Swigart. I actually know Galen. I actually met him at the, oh yeah 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 met him at Total Archery Challenge, and actually he won one of the giveaways a couple months ago. Um, super oh, nice, nice guy. Yeah, super nice guy. So hey, Galen, how's it going? Um, he's asking about our layering systems. Like, so he wants to know, mm-hmm. you know, layering systems that we're using and how do we layer for temperatures that are you know in the thirty degree range and below. And I think we're probably going to have very similar answers here, but I'll let you go first on this one. Before we continue our conversation, let's talk about Wicked Tree Gear saws. Hardcore deer hunters need hardcore tools. Do yourself a favor and check out Wicked Tree Gear, the toughest hand saws and pull saws on earth. You buy it once, you buy it for life, backed by a lifetime guarantee. Right now, if you use the promo code TRUTH, you'll save 20% on your next purchase with free ground shipping. So head over to wickedtreegear.com and get a saw that's tough enough to work as hard as you hunt. So I am a self-proclaimed wuss when it comes to cold weather. Um, the more <laughs> I'm exposed to it, then I get a little more acclimated, you know, as time goes on. But, man, you get you get those, like, really moist, cold mornings, and mm-hmm. it seems like it's twice as cold. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, my general theory is, uh, you know, I always start out, when we get into those temperatures, you can guarantee that I'm wearing core heavyweight base layer you know, pants and I'm wearing, you know, fanatic hoodie or something as a base layer. Um, maybe merino wool as well underneath that, depending on how much I think I might potentially sweat. Yeah. Um, if it's high winds, I'm always looking at uh, something with wind stopper. You know, if we're at that 30, 35 degree mark um, with wind and it's not super moist outside, then I'm leaning more towards stratus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sitka Stratus. Uh, I guess that's the other thing we got to cover that is we're both wearing Sitka gear. Um, and then when we get below 30, uh, that's when I do, um, that's when I switch over to the fanatic. And again, if I got a long walk in, I've got those things vented or I might not even be wearing those at all. Um, and, you know, I might just have, like, Equinox pants over top just to cover me while I'm walking so I don't get a bunch of burrs sticking to the, you know, to the base layers. But um, Windstopper is is the key, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's the key. No doubt. Um, I got to wear the uh, Celsius Midi uh, jacket last year, uh, prototyping that. Um, that thing is clutch as a as a nice extra layer on your core that's not bulky it's a nice layering piece um as well my head my head never really matters like i'm telling you I, maybe it's the beard and the extra hair or something like that but it's the mullet man. um it's the mullet it's the kentucky waterfall <laughs> that's right um i don't uh whether i wear a ball cap or a beanie it's got to be real cold you know, for me to want to wear like a 
the stratus beanie and that's usually that's as thick as i go mm-hmm. on my head um my hands that that is clutch for me um when it gets real cold man i i wear those incinerator flip mitts mm-hmm. um but when it comes time to shoot i actually take off my gloves completely yeah yeah uh last year it was negative seven when i shot my buck with my bow and and I shot it barehanded. Um, I just, I don't like to have anything on my hands whatsoever. Right. So, uh, and, you know, and there's a ton of other layering pieces that I, I will wear. Uh, and it's all very temperature dependent. You know, Fanatic hoodie with a Stratus vest on top. That's very popular for me in the 30, 35 uh, type stuff. Yeah. Um, Shacket, I go to the shacket quite a bit when we hit that 30, that 25, 30. Um, again, a lot of it comes to me is how far do I have to walk in? How much am I potentially going to sweat? You know, am, am I in a blind or in a tree? And what is the wind? Yeah. So it varies so much, man. Yeah. No, it, to- it totally does, man. Because I kind of make the same the same the same call you know it's also am, is, am i sitting all day is this a is this a morning you know break and then and then hunt the evening somewhere somewhere else where i'm gonna have to move you know because i can tolerate being slightly cold and uncomfortable for an hour or so you know what i mean but i don't want to make my whole sit like sure. that right so you know i you know of course i'm wearing sitka as well and you know i guess where i kind of start is you know if it's in that 30 degree and below at that point it's like i'm it's merino the the heavy merino wool you know base layers you know tops and bottoms um for that um you know like you it's like i'll switch up my mid layer a little bit you know what i mean depending you know how you know how windy it's going to be and how long i'm going to be out um you know but a lot of times i'll go to that fanatic hoodie as that next layer and then, you know, if it's in that 30 degree range, 35 degree range, and it's not like, you know, freaky cold out and the wind isn't too bad, it's like, that's usually when I'll bust out the the Fanatic vest. You know, I love that thing. It's probably one of my favorite pieces mm-hmm. that I wear. Um, super warm. And, you know, it just seems like it's so, it warms my core to the point to where it's like, I my arms don't really get cold, um, you know, so long Correct. as it's not, like, yep. you know, ripping wind. Um, well, and you can shove your arms in there up to your elbows in the front, you know, kangaroo pouch. Exactly. I was just going to say, so it's like, I, you mentioned wearing gloves. It's like, I actually kind of stopped wearing gloves because of that kangaroo pouch. Like, cause it is so warm. Mm -hmm. I just throw a hand warmer inside of that and keep my hands in there and I'm, and Mm -hmm. I'm good to go. You know what I mean? So it's like, even when it's gotten cold out, I typically, if I do wear gloves, it's like, I'll wear a very light glove on my riser hand. And I'll wear no glove on my, on my release hand. You know, that's kind of mm-hmm. you know, would be my MO. Um, as far as head goes, you know, it's like, I'll, you know, I'll wear, you know, it's, I'll wear, you know, the, the, the Sitka trucker hat, you know, a lot of times if, if it's windy, then I will go to the Stratus beanie. And if, when it's really cold, that's, you know, absolutely what I'm wearing. It's like, I don't, it's just like you, I don't go any heavier than that, 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 you know, t- typically gets the job done. Um, Mm -hmm. as far as bottoms go, you know, I'll go back and forth just depending, um, you know, when it's down into the thirties and lower, um, I'm definitely wearing the Stratus pants. Um, you know, I, I like those, you know, for, um, you know, it not being freakishly cold, if it's going to get really windy and, and, and be in the thirties and lower then I will go to the, um, to the, the fanatic bibs, the, the, um, the heavy, Mm -hmm. the heavy hitters. Um, and if, and if it is going to be crazy cold and windy, then I will go to the fanatic jacket and, and wear that as well. 
So that's kind of mm-hmm. what my setup is. There is one other mid layer that I will put on. I have a, uh, I'll use a, uh, I guess it's the heavy, the heavy mid uh, half zip, which is just basically, I got just like a, a solid tone color of it. Uh, Cause I actually like yep. to use that whenever I'm, if I do get into a blind, um, cause it's, you know, keeps me kind of hidden in the blind. Uh, but I'll use that mm-hmm. as a, as a mid layer as well. And then there's one, my, my ace in the hole, my, like, I guess my secret weapon for the cold is actually a pair of, uh, base layers that I bought years ago, snowboarding called hot chilies and they wick away moisture, like no one's business. So if it's going to get down into like the, the teens, the hot chilies come out and those things are like, that's hilarious. Warm. So that's like, that's my, yeah. that's my not so pro tip. Um, it's probably one of the warmest base layers I've ever, I've ever gotten. Now you don't want to have to walk very far in those things cause they're warm. You know what I mean? But if you're going to be sitting for a long time and it's not too far of a walk, it's those things are, those things are money. Um, and then my biggest thing is my feet, man. And I know you and I, I just got new boots this year cause my previous boots had fallen apart and I got a pair of lacrosse boots and yep. 800 milligram, you know, thinsulate, um, you know, so, and they've been super comfortable digging those right now, but I started using a sock liner probably like two years ago to help with like wicking the sweat away from my huge. feet. Yeah. Huge. Yep. And, uh, that's been, that's been money. And then I'll actually, again, I'm going back to my old school snowboarding days. Like one of my favorite pair of socks are the socks I used to wear snowboarding cause they're thin, but super warm. Um, mm-hmm. so a lot of times I'll wear, I'll wear that. And that's kind of my, uh, that's kind of my get up for, uh, for my layering system. You know, it's like the earlier in the season, it's like, I will use subalpine stuff for when it's warmer. You know, I know uh-huh. this question was about the 30 and below, but I will use the subalpine stuff early in the season, um, to get me to that. Like, you know, once it gets into the forties is when I start, you know, swapping out some of the fanatic stuff and some of the more the elevated to whitetail gear. One thing that, um, that I will do if I'm going to do, if I have a really, really long walk in and I plan on sitting all day, mm-hmm. um, I will do, um, just any kind of sock, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I get to my stand, then I have another pair of socks and everybody's like, Oh my God, you're taking your boots off. You're taking your sweaty sock off. Well, I have a Ziploc bag, put the sweaty socks in a Ziploc bag, yeah, I'm releasing a little bit of scent, but if if a person and I and I don't recommend I, I this is it's very odd situations that I'll I'll do this where even a sock liner or a moisture wicking liner underneath doesn't mm-hmm. do the trick. If you have extremely sweaty feet, and some people do that, I think there's like a, there's like a medical term for that too. Yeah, um, if you have extremely sweaty feet, um, one take leave earlier so you can take breaks uh, along your walk so you don't sweat you build up sweat you know just mm-hmm. rest for a second you know um, or try the replace your socks trick you know yeah, yeah you're stinking up the place for a few seconds um, but if you're gonna be there all day and sometimes you need to sit all day you know yep. there's those days where you're like god I'm so cold I want to go inside but God, I, you know, I'm in the right spot. And I, and if I, if I leave, I'm, I'm potentially blowing a chance, you know, try the switch out the sock trick. Yeah. One thing I started doing, speaking of sweaty feet is, uh, I've actually started using the, uh, the dead downwind, uh, boot powder. 
to help absorb yeah, some of the I put, moisture. I put that in my boots every time. Yep. 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 And it seems to be, seems to be working. So I'm, I'm digging on, on that to help with the sweat. Cause I do get sweaty feet walking in. That's the one thing that always kills me is my feet are the first thing that gets, gets cold. And, and then I'm usually miserable from about nine o'clock in the morning till dark, <laughs> which makes it, for, Oh makes dude, for a tough man, hunt. there's nothing worse, man. What, Cause once your feet get cold, it just seems like it just works its way up and then it's yeah. your core. Yeah. You know, we talked about our sleeves. Yep. Um, you know, the other day it was 34 degrees or something in the stand and all I had on was the fanatic, uh, hoodie. Um, and then I had a stratus vest. Right. Um, and you know, my arms were chilly, but it was not, it was never uncomfortable. Um, you know, at all, but man, if my core gets cold, my feet get cold. Whew, that makes for a miserable sit. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're pretty much out of gas at that point. But, uh, yep. so we'll answer, let's do one more. We'll do, cause there's a, there's, okay. a, there's a couple more here and then we might have to do a second, a second Q and a session at some point to or cover. We can speed, we can speed answer them. We, we could speed answer them. So we'll, we'll do this one. And we'll, let's, try, let's try it. Let's done. try it. So this one is, uh, from Michael Piccoletti. Hopefully, hopefully I said your name right. Um, he's asking, how do I handle all day sits in a saddle or in a stand? And so I guess I'll, you went, you had to go first. You, the last you do time, saddle, so. I'll do stand. Yeah. So, so saddle, you know, going to be completely transparent here. I'm new to saddle hunting. Um, you know, I have done an all day sit in the saddle and for me, whether, you know, all day sit, regardless of what you're using, it's for me, it's like 80% mental. It's going to be long. It's going to be slightly uncomfortable, you know, within, within reason. Um, and you just kind of have to mentally prepare yourself to know that that's going to, it, it is what it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I try to take things along, you know, to, to occupy myself to a degree. It's like, I'll take a book along, you know, to, to read intermittently during the day, you know, during the slow periods. Um, now I'll be the first to admit that I'm not afraid to take like a little five minute, like power nap, you know, if, if I can pull it off, you know, whether it's in a, a saddle or a stand, um, just to, you know, because the, it is what it is. You're up crazy early and it gets, gets a little slow and that sun hits you after you've been sitting there for a few hours. If you need to take a little snooze and take a little snooze, just make sure you wear your damn safety harness. Um, or in the saddle, you're already kind of, uh, tethered in. Um, but the one thing, you know, with the saddle that is a little bit different, I guess, is that, you know, there is some, um, physical demands of it just by the nature of how it works, you know, and, and demanding on your core and your core strength and stuff like that. So, you know, people talk about getting into saddle shape and stuff like that. And I guess I agree with that to a certain degree. Um, I definitely wouldn't take a saddle on, on a hunting trip and decide that that's the only thing I'm going to use and try to do 10 all day sits in a row. And if you've never sat in it before, um, but I will say, you know, for me, it, the first all day sit didn't really bother me. Um, I think in part, it's like, I, you know, I'm pretty active in general and I try to get up in every morning and get a workout in and stuff like that. So it, it didn't bother me as much. So the one thing I would say, is like, if you're planning on doing all day sits in a saddle or in a tree stand, whatever, it's like, I have kind of like my archery season has hit workout plan to a degree where it's like, I'm less focusing on like the normal stuff I do the rest of the time of the year. And now I'm really kind of looking at like, what are the muscle groups I'm going to use whenever I'm hunting. Right. And so for me, it's like, I'll start doing more core exercises. I'll start doing, you know, uh, Superman's like, I'll, you know, Superman poses and stuff like that to try to help build your back muscles. Cause most of the time you get uncomfortable because of, you know, lack of strength in your core. The other thing I'll do too, and this might sound all new, new age and hippy dippy, but I'll actually start doing a lot more yoga 
as hunting season starts to approach just so I stay flexible and kind of stay limber and, you know, and, and my muscles aren't all tense and tight and stuff like that. So those are the kind of the ways that I prepare to do all day sits. Um, cause there's no way around it. It's, it's a grinder, the saddle, if you're not kind of prepared, familiar and, and used to it can be even more so a grinder. Um, but those are the ways I kind of get ready. So I don't know, John, if you, how, how you approach yours. Uh, so I've never hunted out of a saddle. So for tree stand hunting for me, um, I've got naturally not the greatest back in the world. Um, you know, just not blessed with a, with a, with a good back. So, um, I'll hit the chiropractor and when, as soon as the season's <laughs> over, I usually takes me a couple of visits at the chiropractor to get straightened out. But, um, the two biggest things that, that help me for all day sits is I alternate between sitting and standing. Mm-hmm. Um, generally I will stand longer than I sit. Um, usually if it's a morning hunt, I'll sit through the darkness, right? Um, and then when it's starting to get light, that's when I'll stand and I'll be standing for a while. Um, then maybe sit for a little bit when you think things are starting to die down, uh, do some sitting um, the convenient smartphones. Mm-hmm. I've got a dirt track racing game on my <laughs> smartphone. I race dirt late models, uh, without the volume. And here's the thing. People are like, Oh my God, I can't believe you sit up there and you're playing video games on your phone. And stuff like that. I can't even tell you how many times I've glanced up from my phone and I've seen deer walking in mm-hmm. when I'm sitting there playing a game. I'm not moving. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. my thumb is moving on the screen and they can't see my thumb. When you're standing, you're situating, you're sitting down, you're standing, you're shifting your hips, you're moving from side to side, you're glant. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that's just more movement, right? So, um, you know, I'm guilty of it, man. Instagram, Facebook, um, play a couple of video games to pass some time here and there. I'm also looking at maps um, and reading topography, seeing where I might want to see if I'm, I spot something new. Uh, I'm looking at weather. I'm always looking at tomorrow's hunt, um, looking at the, the barometer and, and wind change or when's the next going to be the next big wind shift. And that's what I do to pass the time. If I have a camera guy, you know, a little bit of light conversation, you know, goes a long way. Yeah. Um, but it can they can be grinders, man. Yeah. Just uh, find something to do to kind of occupy your time. Yeah. So I think the moral of the story here is is you know try to make sure you're you're feeling good before you do it and before the all day sits come along physically, right? And then find some things to help help you pass the time, and then otherwise just mentally get ready for the meat grinder because that's what it's going to be for a handful of days. Because that's I'm I'm kind of in that space right now. So this is a really good question because getting ready to do the Ohio trip. You know, and that's a, and out to my dad's, you know, be hunting, doing all that. And that's, those are going to be all, you know, once this time of year hits like this weekend, you know, like the 26th ish, it's like from that point forward, like all my sits are all day, you know, that's unless there's like a reason I need to come out of the woods for like a family obligation or something like that. But otherwise it's like, I go in at dark, I come out at dark and that's kind of how it, kind of how it works. I'm in that mental preparation phase right now where I'm like, all right, I'm going to have like two weeks of brutality. But if it works out and I get to put a hammer on the ground, it's 
it's a, it's a lifetime of memories. So it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, it's, right. it's all worth it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the next one here, and we'll try to do speed ones of these. This is my buddy Tom Titlow here. He says, when will we drink beers over dead deers? <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and answer this one. Tom, hopefully soon. So there you go. I'll, I'll call you when it happens. You can help me drag. Um, yeah, I, I like I like Tom. Man, he's a good dude. Yeah, um, yeah I. T- uh, well, I, next time I'll probably see him will probably be uh, ATA. Yeah. So, um, yeah, buy me a beer. Yeah, Tom. exactly. We'll, we'll all hook up there and uh, we'll go out and have beers on Tom. Sounds good, Tom. I just put you in on yeah, the. I like it. I just I just slotted you in for the bill for our outing. You're welcome. Yep. Um, the next one is, uh, he says he has a, you know, the string on his bow is fraying. So this is a more of a technical question. When should I, when should I replace it? And is it safe to use? So I'll go ahead and let you take a stab at this one first. In my opinion, if the bow string is more than two years old, just go ahead and replace it. Um, if it's not more than two years old, cause let's face it, man. uh, Yeah. Bow string. It's not, it's not cheap but it's cheaper than broken limbs Um, and wrecking your season. You know what I mean? Um, Chances are with a new bowstring, you're going to have to sight in and stuff like that. A lot of times if it hasn't busted and you go ahead and change it out, they can take measurements and get you pretty darn dialed in to where you might just have to make a few adjustments here and there. But, um, man, bow wax is your friend. I'm pretty, uh, pretty critical about that. I always try to, Rewax my stuff uh definitely before the start of the season and you know some of those public land sits man i'm dragging my stuff around and and trying to check my bowstring but uh a little bit of fraying i mean that that's natural that happens yeah. that's not a huge huge thing but um yeah that's uh a bowstring explosion can be really really dangerous yeah and you can hurt yourself you can hurt your limbs you can hurt your uh your cams um, you know, when in doubt, just replace it. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. You know, I think, I think some of it is too, is like you have to take, like I think like you said, take into consideration the age of the string itself. Like how old is it? If it's mm-hmm. a year old and you're just getting and you shoot a lot, it's like, maybe you're okay. But you know, if you're that worried, if, if you're concerned about it, then just change, change it out. I think also some things that come into play too, is like, where do you hunt? Cause I know my bowstring last year was fine while I was here. I went to Montana about a week into Montana to that dry air the, you know, dry, dry the string out yep. and all of a sudden it was starting to fray, you know what I mean? So, yeah. So, you know, and that was just because of the conditions that I was, I was hunting in. I'm the same way as you where it's like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty liberal with the, uh, with the bow wax. It's like, I try to, I try to wax the string anytime I think about it. And I always try to make sure that it has just a little bit of tack to the string. And then I know that it's, you know, in, yep. in good shape. Um, but yeah, if you're in doubt to your point, it's like, you know, don't take any chances. If you think it's something that needs to be replaced, just go ahead and replace it. It's better to be safe than sorry on, on many levels. So that I think is the, I would give the same advice. Um, um, real, real, real fast, funny story. So one of my really good friends back home in Kentucky, Mike Riddle, he, uh, he was a co-owner of a bow shop. And I remember a guy coming in there one night to the bow shop and, He's like, you, you know, can you guys got string for such and such bow? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I've got one. And he's like, all right, well, uh, the bow's only a year old. And Mike's like, well, all right, I mean, are you sure you need to replace it? You know, and the guy pulls his bow out of the case, and it looked like Boyd Tinsley's violin uh, <laughs> bow after uh, 
you know, a three hour session at Giant Stadium, you know, with Dave Matthews or something. <laughs> There's nice like hairs hanging down <laughs> off. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's time to replace that. Hey, does, this, does this look normal to you guys? Is this? <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, like, yeah, yeah, you might want to replace that, you know, because yeah, yeah. he was he referred to it as fraying. I'm like, dude, that's just <laughs> that's all that's wrecked, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, that's but, awesome. And if nobody knows who Boyd Tinsley is, violin player, form, former violin player for Dave Matthews, then sorry, but um, yeah, that's the second for time. Those that do will get a mental image and right, they'll know what I'm talking about. That's the second time we've actually brought up the violin player from from Dave Matthews on this show. I know. Yeah. Crazy, man. The uh all right, so this is the last one. Uh okay. so this one says and this is from Jay Rayner Hart. Hopefully that I said that right. Uh says having only a week to hunt a property that you travel to, how aggressive yeah. should you or would you play the wind? So I guess I'll start with this hmm. one. Um, so this is, this is me and this is my personal preference. I, I pay attention to the wind. Um, well, let me back up. Let me start, start by this. I think part of how aggressive you're going to be is based on how much time you have to hunt. Um, if you have, if you are traveling to this place and you have the luxury to have plenty of time off and you're going to be able to hunt them on the best weather days and kind of pick and choose your days and stuff like that, um, and, you know, it also I would take into consideration what do you know about the critters you're chasing on that piece of property? Do you have some that you have historical information on that you have a pretty good idea or pattern as to what they do? Or is it the opposite that you don't really know much about the critters on there and maybe it's the first year you've hunted? I think all these things kind of play into how aggressive you should be. Um, for me, and I'll just give my scenario, you know, because I'm, I'm getting ready to do this. I'm going to Ohio to hunt public land. I've scouted it. This will be the second year that I've hunted this particular area in general, not necessarily the same spot per se, but like the, the general, what, you know, 60 ish thousand acres that are there, um, have some familiarity, have some cameras out, but don't know a ton about the deer there because it's, you know, I don't have historical information on any, any of them necessarily. And I'm going to be there for about eight days. Right. So if I plan to be successful, I can't, you know, really pussyfoot around. So the way I kind of approach things is, you know, my saying this year has been, you know, willing to risk it for the biscuit, so to speak. Um, so I will hunt the wind aggressively. You know, I think in general, if you want to try to get on good deer, um, I think you have to hunt the almost wrong wind, you know, or just off winds and, and let the deer think that they have the wind, um, which doesn't mean you walk through a known bedding area and blow it out and or through a food source and blow it out early in the morning or whatever the case is or or in the evening when you're getting out of your stand. Like you still want to be careful about those things. But when you're setting up and the wind is maybe just not quite 100% right, I'll still hunt it. Um, you know, a lot of people would kind of turn their nose up at that, um, you know, and, and, and they've probably had more success than me. But at the same time, I only have certain amount of time to hunt. You know, I'm a normal working dude. So it's like when I have time to go hunt, I can't sit back and, and not hunt because the wind isn't right for me or, or isn't perfect. Now I won't hunt the wrong winds in my best, in my best spots. You know, it's like, I'll, I'll hunt, you know, other, other areas that, you know, maybe aren't as good on those winds where I'm like, not quite as worried about it. Um, but even those good spots, I'm still going to not necessarily wait for the perfect wind. I'm going to wait for a wind that'll work instead of a perfect wind. And that's kind of how I 
kind of how I approach it. Cause it's a lot of, it's just based on how much time I have and I can't waste days not getting after it. So that's my, my approach, John. I don't know how, how about you, man? So, uh, you know, we talked about it earlier about sticking to the plan, sticking to the tactics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you can stick to your tactics all the way to the end and you didn't accomplish your goal and you know, you might kick yourself for it. I do think that play the wind. Um, it's very easy to do to get down to those last couple of days and go into panic mode. Mm -hmm. And you know, the fifth day or the sixth day might be the day that it all were, it all came together for you if you stuck to your plan. So Mm -hmm. If you've got a sound plan in place and and your gut's telling you that's what you should do, then I say stick to it. Um, it is very hard advice to give to somebody that says, hey, man, all I have is these six or seven days to make it happen. If it doesn't happen, I'm going buckless this year. And, and I don't want anybody to do that. Um, so it, it's, it's very, very tough. If you only have one piece of property – and you've only got six or seven days, oh, man. I hate. I I almost hate giving advice for that. You know what I yeah. mean? It's tough. It's tough because uh, you don't want to mess up somebody's somebody's hunt. And um, but I've been known to be a person that can sometimes get a little aggressive and mm-hmm. play some marginal wins. Um, so when I for me getting aggressive is uh, is slicing the pie and getting on that ragged edge of potentially being busted yep. and hope that your scent control um, game is, is on point. But um, that's, that's how I would get, you know, how I would get aggressive. Just, uh, you know, don't go into the hunt balls to the wall thinking, man, I only got six or seven days. Cause all it takes is five seconds as we all know. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I definitely, I'm definitely a little less aggressive early, early on. And, you know, and when I say conservative, like my con, my conservative approach to, you know, hunting the wind is probably more aggressive than most people's aggressive approach, <laughs> you know, quite, quite mm-hmm. honestly, you know what I mean? Cause I just, um, I don't know why it's just, I, I've always kind of, that's the way I've always kind of been. Um, you know, it's like, I've always kind of had a, if this spot doesn't work out and it, it gets blown out and I, and I get busted and it's busted up or whatever, then, you know, so be it, I'll go, I'll go find the next spot. Um, is kind of my approach. Um, you know, and there's some guys that I've, I've listened to and heard some really good information from that, you know, take somewhat similar approaches. They don't hunt bad winds necessarily. And I'm not suggesting anyone hunt just a God awful wrong wind in a, in a good spot. But, you know, like a good example would be like a, a dude like Cody DeQuisto, right? Like that guy gets after it. He's going after a specific deer and he is not afraid to bump a deer. He's going to get right up in its business. He's going to hunt yep. aggressive winds. And if that deer blows out and is gone he's moving on to the finding the next deer you know and getting after the next yep. one um you know but you also have to have he's a lot got of lots com- of tracks of land to do that on he, yeah he does have a lot of tracks of land to do it on and he's also has a track record of finding the next deer you know what i mean which you know correct I, you know so you have to have the confidence that it's like you're going to be able to move the next piece of ground and it might be public because maybe you don't have a bunch of tracks of land you know what i mean and and you have to go in and you have to reassess and figure out and get on another good deer and put a plan together and you got three days to do it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you know, that's, it's hard to give advice in that situation because you don't know what everyone's comfortable with and, and willing to give up necessarily, but that's kind of how I approach it. I approach it a little bit more aggressively. Um, you know, and sometimes it, 
I eat the bear. Sometimes the bear eats me. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm willing. Or, to, uh, I'm willing to live with it. Some, sometimes you're the bug. Sometimes you're the windshield. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good one. I like that one. I don't know that I've ever heard yeah, that one before. It, yeah, but it's you know, and, and like you said, I mean, um, when I first started hunting, I was not aggressive, um, and then I went through a phase where I was pretty aggressive. And then I've con, kind of gone back to being not aggressive. And I, and I mentioned earlier this year in a podcast that this year I was going to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, and by by my definition of aggressive, it's, you know, not get hung up on one spot. If it's just not panning out, but it's an easy set to get to, it you know, don't, you know, always be willing to, to keep pushing, keep pushing and, it's like a motto for life, you know, right. You don't ever want to look back at the season and say, well, man, I didn't do everything I could have done, you know? So, um, maybe this guy, you know, maybe the last, maybe the last couple of days, maybe throw a couple of Hail Marys, Yep. you know? Yep. And at least you can say you tried everything, you know, I don't think then you, you feel, you know, you can't lose. Yeah. You You can't lose with that strategy. Yeah, exactly. So, well, those are all the questions, man. So I think if we uh, if cool. we if we don't have anything else to add, I think uh, I think this is a uh, this episode is a wrap. Sound good? Sweet. Awesome, man. Well, hey, Sounds dude. Like a plan, dude. Good luck uh, as the weather turns, brother. And I'll uh, I'm sure we'll be texting. We'll be we'll be connected here while uh, keep me uh, keep me in the loop. Let me know what's what's shaking. I'll be. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot of text, uh, a lot of texting going back and forth when you're transitioning from PA to Ohio, and and uh, I'll be uh, holding it down here in Iowa, kind of bouncing around a couple different properties, a little bit of public, and um, yeah, getting ready to get in that swing where it's going to be, uh, you know, hunting, hunting hard. Yep. Things should uh, things should start happening here pretty soon. Prime time is here, man. Let's do it. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. We'd, of course, like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative of that. And that will also ensure that you get the daily podcast that will be coming during the course of Rut Camp and My Hunt in Ohio. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. On my heels, makes me proud, makes me steal. I could show you through the door, I ain't welcome anymore.
right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.